linked me uh, to this one episode and said something like, oh, you'll really like about uh, th- this episode three minutes in. So I listened to it and and and, and the guy called me, oh yeah, uh, Radek, the, 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 the Swift genius. And I was like, what the f***? This is troubling. My boss is hearing voices. I'm hearing voices too. Like I feel younger, you know, and I feel with more power. Um, will you indulge a rocket corner for five minutes? Yeah, yeah, why not? Like, you know, go. <laughs> if you have to. Yeah. All right, so let's continue with the topic from last week. Let's talk some more about deep work because it's a really important topic, right? And this week we'll try to do it right and just jump right into the main topic and leave follow-up, feedback, everything else for the end. Otherwise, we'll spend half the, the, uh, the episode on it uh, once again. Sounds good? And there is the hidden benefit that people can just listen to the, you know, the meat of the show and then just stop listening, you know, when we just yeah. stop the, the exactly. topic. So there is the benefit for you, right. dear listener. <laughs> so um, you did finish the book now, I assume. Yeah, I did. I did finish the book. Uh, yeah. All right. I'm actually finishing another, another, another book already. No, I actually finished, finished, I finished this book, I finished another one, and then I'm finishing the third now. So yeah, I'm, I'm on a roll Very now. impressive. Uh, you know, since April, oh, here we go again. Well, anyway, I'll continue the thought. Uh, since April, I've been pretty much reading a book every week. So yeah. Uh, Good. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, um, same as you. Uh, so deep work, part two. So one topic that book discussed, which is, kind of uncomfortable, I think, to, to many people, like uh, strange, maybe, I don't know, uh, but, but something that the book um, made quite a big deal of and something it, it made a really compelling argument for is, do you really need social media? I mean, you, you <laughs> can tell I, I spend a lot of time on Twitter, right? But... Should I? Should I? Should I be on Twitter? Do I really need it? Like, why? Like, honest question. Why don't you quit social media? Why do you need Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, whatever? What do you think of that uh, after reading the book? Yeah. So it it just reassured me that uh, that you know that we should experiment actually, which we with which kind of social media actually you know is good for us and for our purposes and for our goals that right. we shouldn't be like this, you know, squirrel, you know, thing that we, you know, there's a new social media, let's go, let's jump in. Let's go. Everybody's there. Let's go there. You know, like for example, on our Nosby reunion, right. I was reassured. I don't want to, I mean, I have a Snapchat account, but I'm not using it and I won't start <clears throat> because I saw how you're using that and how the rest of my team is using that. I'm actually concerned about it because, because Snapchat is like this typical, you know, thing that it, it, it creates this compulsive, you know, thing of checking it all the time because things will disappear, you know, after a day. Right. So you want to check what's up with your friends and you want to be like the completionist of what's happening yes. there because... It's going to disappear, so you are going to have the big FOMO, you know, the first, the the, the fear of missing out, yes. and that's why you want to check there. And I was already feeling like this a little bit towards Instagram of really checking all the the latest photos of people I'm following because I really like that. 
Fortunately now, uh, Instagram ruined the user experience because they decided to do the selective you know, thing that they're not actually showing me all the photos, but only selectively choosing an algorithm to show me some photos. So recently I just decided not to check photos at all because I just didn't like it and I couldn't take it back. And I'm actually not really using Instagram that much anymore. So, but really, um, I think it, it was very important that the book raised this question yes. because I think we are jumping too much in with two feet onto like another social media platform. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, there's this this phrase um, thrown in, in the book, uh, technopoly, and it got me thinking. So technopoly, um, let me pull the dictionary. So technopoly is a cultural state of mind that assumes technology and for us, you know, internet in particular, internet stuff is always good and of value. And and that's really interesting, mm-hmm. right? We don't we don't question, like we don't we don't really weigh um, pros and cons of whether or not we should use Twitter, right? It's it, it's it's sometimes like we kind of assume that everything that's made of technology and enabled by technology, everything that's online is always good, right? And 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 like yeah. So sometimes it feels like um, with all many of, of these new things, people are like, if if you're not using X, what are you? Some kind of Luddite? Do you not believe in progress? Why do you live in the past? Exactly. Right? And I I, I hope it it means something that I'm the guy uh, who's saying it because like if <laughs> you know it, it's easy for someone who's you know 50 or, or 60 to say that and it's easy to dismiss that because oh you know they're saying that whatever right but I'm I'm 20 years old so if I, I guess if if I'm sometimes questioning whether everything um, that technology is always good for us then I think there there might be something to it right like we we have to um, consider that uh, just because something is cool because it's enabled by high technology, it doesn't mean it's still good for us or good always or good for everyone or good no matter what. Yeah, totally. And um, it, it reminds me, there was an ad. Uh, I, I hope we can find it online on, on YouTube or something. That they, they, like there was this ad that one person was saying to another, uh, where did you find it? On the internet. And this, on the internet. And where did you learn that? On the internet. You know, you know everything they put on the internet is true. Right. <laughs> and and, and, and uh, they wouldn't put anything on the internet that wasn't true, right? <laughs> they, <laughs> of course they would. I mean, this is the internet. It's a, it's a digital reflection of our world. Yes. You know? And uh, so so this kind of thing. And, and, and also, I, I think... Um, also, this idea not only of of, of this techno, uh, but also the fear of missing out that I described before, totally. and also the, the the fear of being left out, you know, left out from the society, left out from the cool people, you know, because cool people mm. hang in there, like you know, the high school syndrome, you know, mm. like you want to be, you don't want to be with the cool guys, you want to be with the cool bunch, right? Yes. So, so this kind of thing. But I remember, you know, I remember actually. When I was talking to Seth, to Seth Godin, um, when I was doing interview with him for the Proactive magazine, we will link to it in the show notes, I asked him about his Twitter usage. Why he, isn't he using Twitter? And he said, you know, Michael, I, I, I totally understand Twitter. I, can, I totally get why people use it. And I think it's, it's, it's great for many people. And 
I just want to spend more time creating great content and I'm doing my blog and, you know, I, I keep, you know, I keep publishing every day a blog post and, uh, and he's, he is, so you, you might check it out. He's, it's, he's amazing how prophetic he is. And, and he said that, you know, he wanted to focus his creative juices on creating valuable insight, valuable content. And just Twitter is, isn't that for him. And the only thing they do, I mean, he does is that his blog posts are being you know, tw- tweeted out, uh, like, uh, like syndicated, yeah. but that's it. You know, he doesn't do anything else. He's not involved in social media. So, you know, it, it just depends and we should actually analyze how we use this. And, 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 uh, and I think he raised a very important point that we should question this. Yeah, um, he said something that, like when you think about it, it sounds so simple, so obvious, it's kind of stupid to even talk about it. But yeah. again, it, it's one of those things that's, that uh, becomes obvious when pointed out. So he, he, he called it the any benefit theory, right? So the idea being, uh-huh. oh, uh, so are you saying that, that Twitter is useless? And it's like, no, no, no. Like, obviously, Twitter or whatever has benefit, right? It's easy to identify mm-hmm. the benefit. But like, he really reminded me of something I've been... Like it's it's a consistent theme throughout our conversations uh, over the last uh, few months. It's something I, I I really had to have hammered in, which is that uh, our time is limited. It's it's constant. We have twenty four hours a day, hopefully eight of which is spent on on sleep. Right? It's yeah. It's constant. We can't change it. So everything we do um, that that competes for time. Is a zero sum game, okay? Yeah. And and there's this this power law, right? The the eighty twenty rule, the the law of the vital few, whatever you call it. That yeah, there are things that are there's a lot of things that have value that are beneficial, right? There, there's there's more things we could be doing or that that have value than we could possibly do in our lives. But if our um, but some things are more valuable than others. And if our time is constant, if it's a zero-sum game, and it is, then it doesn't make sense to spend time on the uh, low-impact things, right? It's better to reinvest yeah. that time in the stuff that provide 80% of the benefit and 20% of the time. Then you can have you know, all of the benefit in all of the time when you spend it on the highest impact thing. Yeah, and, and, and just the other day I was doing the, the presentation uh, on Nosby and, uh, and the webinar actually. And uh, one of the things um, I, I explained was that people have been asking me this. Like, Michael, um, do you want to be uh, a one-person product? You know, because... Huh. It is so cool to be a serial entrepreneur, you know, to be this guy. I have this business. I'm doing this, that, that, that. And I'm just this, this cool guy who does all of this great stuff. And it is cool. It, it, it really sounds sexy, you know. Being a one single product guy, it's boring, you know. It's like, well, we just want you. So you have this Nosby thing, you know, good for you, yeah. right? <laughs> why, why can't you yeah. be like Elon Musk? Exactly. Why can't you be like Elon Musk? Elon Musk is so amazing. You know, be like Elon Musk. Thank you very much. I don't want to be like Elon Musk. And the thing is that I want to be one product guy. You know, we tried. We talked about it actually on the show. We wanted to have a second product actually. Episode number three. You know, we tried. Episode number three, you know. uh, 
uh, actually, the, the, the podcast, actually, the, idea, the first initial idea for me for the podcast was actually to uh, promote a little bit more the, the other business that we just closed down. So it, it, after reading Essentialism, after reading The One Thing, so one of the really cool books that I read uh, last year, and, and after this, our discussions here on the show, I realized, yes, yes, I, it's my conscious choice. I want to be a one-person you know, product guy. You know? right. If Nosby is going to be the, you know, the, the, the thing I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life, I love doing it, you know? So, so as, my, as, as, as long as I'll be loving doing it and as long as I'll be adding impact and to, uh, bringing value to people, I want to keep doing that. I don't mind, really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And again, to, um, to, to loop it back to some of our previous conversations, we talked uh, in Sopot about um, kind of my realization that, wow, I should spend more time on the good, good, you know, real work and less on, you know, the, the little things that are always constantly there vying for my attention, but are low impact. And, and yes, this is exactly it, right? It's not that they don't have value because they do. I did them because they had value. It's not like I did something that was, exactly. um, that was damaging I did something that was valuable. You didn't do anything bad. But mm-hmm. it has an opportunity cost, right? Because instead of doing this thing that has some value, you could be doing another thing that has a lot of value. And over the past you know, few months, few weeks, uh, and with deep work, again, all of deep work is, is about that. Shallow work is also valuable. It's just not nearly as valuable as deep work. And we tend to spend, you know, 80% of our time on shallow work that provides like 20% of the benefit and spending 20% of the time on the deep work, which has 80% of the benefit. So why not like resize uh, the balance of the two, you know? Let's uh, cut down on the things that are nice to do, but not really necessary, not, not crucial things you can live without and let's reinvest that time in the things that matter most right i mean just just today i had a presentation at a uh, which was unusual for me uh, at, a, at a company uh, you know one of the biggest companies here in poland and and i was talking to the ceo actually he wanted to talk to me and we discussed about i mean we discussed um uh, you know working you know communicating through tasks actually in his company and i actually decided to talk to him about uh, the concept from the book, from deep work, and told him about the deep work. You know how how important it is. I told, I gave him and the and the and the board. You know the the idea of this rewiring thing that you know if we practice deep work, our brain is you know literally yes. being rewired to the deep work. If we just focus on shallow work, we will rewire our brain to 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 actually only to be able to do shallow 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 work. And when I told him, you know, hey, I understand you're the CEO, you must, you must, you know, make all these decisions, you know, you don't have to have so much deep work as the other guys. And he was like, no, Michael, I just analyzed my last month and I realized how many shallow decisions and shallow things I've been doing and how many, I just analyzed that. And no, I also need more deep work. <laughs> he was like, oh yeah, I, I recognize that. I mean, I have, I have realized how, 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 Little of an impact I did over the last month because of the shallow work, and he's he he so he was you know he was 
he was explaining to me that he's not like Jack Dorsey. He actually wants more deep work. <laughs> you know, he's the CEO of a very big you know, company here, but he still, you know, he, 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 he wants, he craves more deep work. And he, he told me that, you know, so it's, so it's actually against, a little bit against in the argument in the book that, you know, that the Jack Dorsey's and these, maybe they don't need that much. No, they do, but just they don't do it. You know, and of course they're successful anyway, for some or the other reason we don't know. I mean, there are many more, you know, uh, um, many more things that happen that you know that constitute their success and like Elon Musk and everything. And we also don't know how much time actually they spent on other things, on life and stuff. But but yeah. but he said, you know, he being and, and it was a great a great argument, you know, that he, the CEO of a very big company here, admitted that he wanted more deep work, and then he re- he actually analyzed his last month and he, he realized how, 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 how imbalanced it was with shallow work. That's very interesting because we talked about it and it being like, yeah, if you're a, maybe if you're a CEO, it's a bit different, right? Yeah. You, you might have a different balance of it. Maybe you need less of it, but, uh, but seriously, he is a CEO of a big company. I, I just looked it up and, and the company you're mentioning, it has a uh, on the Polish stock exchange, it has a market cap of something like five hundred million dollars. So it, it's it's not a small company. Not really. It's it's, it's slightly slightly bigger than Nasby. <laughs> yeah, slightly. Yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. It's it's a very very big company. So you see, I mean, even you know the CEOs of such you know enormous companies, they they need that. And you know we discussed you know Warren Buffett. I mean, he he he's doing most deep work, and he he has so much impact, and he's and so much wealth because of that. Yeah, yeah, because of that. And so to to circle back to to social media in particular, uh, like the, the 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 thing about it, it's not like the author said, oh you should quit social media, period. It's like, uh, I, I, I think his, his point was more like to to shake up and rewire our thinking about it so that we we, consider, we realize right? that the... That, what? To consider, actually, you know. Social, exactly. Mm-hmm. So that we uh, throw out the end of benefit theory, that we realize that it's a zero-sum game over our attention, over our time, and that we should reinvest it in other things. And you should weigh pro, pros and cons. And maybe you should be on social media, uh, maybe on some social media, maybe sometimes, maybe uh, you should change it, right? It, it's it's not about, hey, you should quit social media, period. And I'm saying that because I, I really don't want people to just dismiss it out of hand. Oh, quit social media, that's stupid, right? Because there was a lot of in there to think about. And I actually did make some some changes, in, in my use of, of social media. So I, I told you many, many episodes ago about how I removed Twitter from my phone. I remember that, yes. Because I just realized that any moment, any idle moment uh, of boredom in my life, when I'm you know sitting in the elevator, whatever, I would just grab my phone and, and browse Twitter. And that just that's a compulsive, unhealthy behavior. And and how much really value did I get out of that 10-second Twitter browse? Uh, just about none, right? It, 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 was, it was stupid. It, was, it didn't really bring me just about any value. It was just a compulsive behavior. So I, I thought, okay, that's unhealthy. I removed Twitter on my phone. With time, it became hard because I would just, you know, being a, a, a junkie, um, 
I would just end up accidentally going into Safari and using mobile.twitter.com. <laughs> I would just still use Twitter on my phone, just somewhere else. And so what I ended up ended up doing is I I I, I use one blocker on uh, my iPhone for content blocking, right? And you can add your own filters. So I added a filter that I literally cannot uh, visit twitter.com on my phone. Now, if I really want to, I, I can do it, right? But the point is, if I really need, like actually need Twitter for some reason, I can get around it, right? I'm, it's, it's, you know, I'm not literally locking myself out of it, but I'm, I'm putting so much friction into doing that that I won't just do it um, by accident, you know, out of habit, and I actually uh, now did the same thing on, on my Mac. I, I banned all of the social media on my Mac. Uh, you, I, I don't have any you know, Twitter or other apps on my Mac. And I also use a content blocker for Safari on my Mac. And I can't visit Twitter.com. I can't visit Facebook.com or Instagram.com or Reddit.com or any of those other things. So now like I'm still in those places. I'm still enjoying Twitter for what it is. And it still has benefits for me such that I'm not going to just quit it. Uh, Facebook, I don't care about anyway, but there are some like incoming things so that I kind of have to be on Facebook, but I'm not participating anyway. But Twitter is an addiction <laughs> for me. But uh, for the last week or so, I've been a lot less on Twitter. When I'm on Twitter, I'm enjoying it. But... I, I can only now access Twitter on my iPad. And that like that's that puts enough friction on me that like it really reinforces uh, the right behaviors. Like my Mac is a work machine. I do work on it. I do productive things on my Mac. I I I can't by accident go to twitter.com and I I don't need to, you know, sometimes turn on self-control, which is an app I mentioned some time ago, so that I can't go to Twitter. I just can't go to Twitter by default. If I if I want to relax, chill out, uh, have some Twitter, uh, you know, ha- have my fix, I go to my iPad and I use my consumption device, my iPad, to do that. And so I end up doing it much less. And when I'm doing it, it's much more conscious that, hey, I'm on my iPad, I'm after work. But I, when I'm at my work, when I'm on my Mac... I don't do Twitter. Yeah, I, I, I applaud that. I mean, really fantastic that you're doing that, that you're limiting yourself. Uh, I, 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 on the other hand, uh, I'm monitoring my Twitter usage uh, now more. I actually, uh, I'm, I'm still having my Twitter on my iPhone. I don't go to Twitter actually on my computer at all, uh, but on my iPhone, yes. And um, But now I'm trying to reinforce creative work on my iPhone. So I redesigned a little bit the icons, I mean the, the, the placement of icons of, of the apps on my iPhone to be able to be more creative on the iPhone, to, 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 in, to use these blocks of time when I'm just, I have a few more minutes, instead of, you know, getting my fix, getting, you know, some information from Twitter, I actually go and write something, you know, jot down on information. And actually, you're, you know, you know very often when I walk, I, I'm listening to audiobooks recently very often. So what happens is that I, I use the, the Evernote uh, to, to, and I have the note from the book I'm listening, you know, as, as a shortcut. I, I just add notes, yes. you know, and uh, one of my recent discoveries was that actually I can dictate notes because the dictation works a little better now, now on uh, iPhone 6S uh, and, and I think it's also because the iOS 9. 
so I, I actually dictate notes. So it's really uh, it's really interesting. I'm I'm actually using that uh, more often. So I'm trying to you know consciously convert my usage of my phone into more of a creative device than than a consumption device. And I'm designing you know, the, the the placement of icons and on apps in such a way that actually it encourages creating stuff than just browsing stuff. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, I think maybe you still should reconsider having Twitter on your phone. Uh, but still, the the good thing is that. I think you're now more conscious of the whole issue and so you can observe yourself and your behavior and see if it's useful and how how often do you you know engage in the compulsive behavior with Twitter on your phone and if you're more conscious about it if you realize that that this might be a problem that this is your own game then you're more likely to to tweak it in response to um, you know to your behavior yeah uh, totally, and also I, for example, redesigned my usage of, of of Facebook and 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 LinkedIn. I don't have any push notifications from the from these services. I still use the use them, but I I check them actually after my weekly review. So every week I check them just to also clean out the, the <laughs> inbox. You know, the like as as a, as the kind of thing. You know, just to clean out you know all the invitations that are coming and all the comments that are coming, just to see what's there. But I'm using less Facebook now as I than than before. And um, uh, and I I'm actually you know considering actually removing <laughs> Instagram from from my from my iPhone because because they ruined it they, they ruined Same. the experience so uh, I don't feel and I don't feel I get so much value out of it anymore you know and um, the photos yeah. are nice and stuff but really <laughs> do I need these photos and you know and I I I started using more Instagram because I I like taking pictures but then again I you know I don't know it's just Again, this is the thing. It's it's quite okay. It's a nice thing to do and nice thing to browse some pictures. But again, is it really great? Is it really something that I really get lots of value from and I give lots of value, value to others? I don't think so. Yeah, exactly. Uh, for me, it was like, I like the pictures, but I like posting pictures. But with time, kind of the enthusiasm died down. It's like, yeah, it, it kind of felt like another thing I kind of have to do. And it's like, I don't do that much anymore. And the photos, you know, it's nice to browse them. But again, um, the parallel, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, yeah, it's it's not that, oh, you should be productive and working for your entire life. Like, it, it's not that, you know, Instagram is nice. It's entertaining. But there are things that are more nice and entertaining than browsing Twitter. Instead of browsing Twitter or uh, Instagram, or, uh, or Facebook, uh, you know what, what's a better form of entertainment? Actually hanging out with your friends in person. Yeah. Or even, I don't know, uh, instead of um, having your Twitter fix for five uh, minutes, mm-hmm. 10 times a day, maybe you watch a movie or whatever. It's, it, it's not that, you know, you have to be disciplined and perfect and working all the time. It's like, even when we talk about non-productivity, about relaxation, about uh, about entertainment. It still applies that you have, you know, some time and attention you devote to that and some activities are are better at it, have more benefit. So why, you know, waste time on the, the low act, uh, benefit activities? There was a book uh, by Michael Bungesh-Tanier a few years back, it was it was called "Do Do Great Work," 
and uh, or do more great work. And it was it, it was again this, it, he was like kind of reinforcing the same idea that we're talking about right now with deep work is that good work is that it's just that good work. But shouldn't we be focusing on actually doing great work, something really fantastic where we actually bring lots of value to people? And and as you said, you know, iron, you know, I mean, figure out the twenty percent where we get the twenty percent of, of effort, where where we get eighty percent of reward, and and double down on the twenty percent. <laughs> right, right, right. And you know, sometimes you can't or you don't want to eliminate those. Uh, you know, those 20% benefit activities altogether. Um, and you don't have to, right? But just just changing the balance and just realizing that there exists this this parallel, this 80-20 rule and yeah. and and the, the zero-sum game is enough to make a difference in your thinking and your behavior and hopefully, ultimately, your results yeah so just just you know just you know question this you know and i think that that was the good point of the author of the book you know question this try it see what sticks and see what's really you know what's really important to you and and figure this out you know yourself and i'm glad that we changed a little bit our behaviors because of this book yeah me too so we're 30 minutes in and i have a sense like this book i don't know about you but it gave me so many things to think about and so many like other starting points so it, it mentioned this this book called four disciplines of execution which i heard about before from you i think mm-hmm. but it it made a compelling like deep work made a compelling pitch for that book so yeah this is what i'm listening to right now and so i, I feel like we'll be talking about ideas from it for a long time <laughs> yeah yeah totally uh for the x book is really, really good i was i was surprised how good it was how great of an impact it did on, on me and i'm still using content of this book to this day. All right, great. Um, I think we should do a, a weekly win because you need to be held accountable. Yeah, I, uh, I do need that. Yeah, so I'm good. I'm, I'm, it's better. The 70 thing was a fluke. <laughs> like, uh, I, I'm, I'm between 67 and a half and 68 and a half. Like, like on the, the whole week, I was like that, like in this, in this range. Well, what, like, I, I, don't, I don't know. It depends on what I was eating or maybe what I was exercising. I don't know. But it was just like bouncing between these, these numbers all the time. So I'm, I'm, I'm 67 somewhat... and a half and 68 and a half, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was, that's my, that's my situation right now. Okay. So that's between uh, 149 and 151 pounds for the Americans. Right. I would prefer an average. It's easy to say, you know, between, but the average uh, tells more. Yeah, uh, yeah. Whatever. Well, I'll, I'll, so next week I'll bring in the average then. Well, on, on my front, um, despite traveling last week uh, and eating a lot of really great food, uh, last week's average was at seventy point two kilograms. So it's really good, and I'm now confident that I can keep it. It's just. It's easy. It's simple. It never was, and now it is. So, uh, like, really, um, the the kind of structural changes in how I eat uh, and not just punishing myself uh, made a big difference. And I, I think uh, now it's good. Also, uh, I did this thing which uh, I had at, at the gym. I kind of advertised doing this kind of body composition analysis things, so that you know they they tell you 
how much uh, you know, how much fat, how much muscle, how much uh, bone mass you have. Uh, so I did that, and it's it's good. It's it's really good. I wish I did that, you know, half a year ago or a few months ago, so that I had a a comparison point. But like pretty much all of the uh, the the measurements are like in the middle of the the correct range. So that's that's really nice. That's something I would expect. In fact, um, with my my body fat, um, I was measured, and you know it, it's a bit of an estimate, I guess, but I was measured to be at eight point eight kilograms of fat that day, and the the kind of normal range starting at eight point nine kilograms. So I was actually at, and in fact. Uh, slightly below a um, you know a, a small amount below the correct range, which is just a, a new thing. <laughs> it's it's not something that that happened before. Nice, congrats! I mean, the, as I told you, the uh, my scale tells me a different story for some reason. I have two scales. I mean, one in my house and one in my in my parents' house, and they give me totally different values. So. I might go see a professional about really actually giving the, the, the real value there. But uh, for me, it's a benchmark. So, uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, nice. That's really good. All right. So so, so that's cool. Um, like, in fact, the only thing the, the trainer has recommended is ideally I should have like three kilograms more mass, muscle mass. Uh, and that would be like just perfect. Uh, it's not like uh, required. Um, uh, the the number is is okay. It's in like definitely healthy range. Okay. Not in any uh, you know. Uh, f- uh, there's no threat there. But like do that, and it would be like just perfect. So that's very interesting for me because like it was never close to the 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 ideal uh, numbers. Oh, it's really good. It's uh, it's great to hear because uh, you know it's. Uh... I mean, the, the moment I changed my diet last, like like two years ago and, and I became the person I am now, I, I feel just so much better and it's just it's just so much comfortable and uh, like I feel younger, you know, and I feel with more power <laughs> and 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 this also enabled me to do sports on a on a on a, you know on a better like on a more frequent basis and um, yeah, it's uh, I would recommend everyone to try it and. Uh, I hear so many so many people um, asking me about the diet, and you know, we became already you know the experts on this. And there was this this story that we we discussed before the show that you know somebody actually discovered us and and knows we because they were looking for slow carb diet information on the internet, and they found my yeah. articles on my blog about it. But um, <laughs> but this is crazy stuff. But if you think about it, uh, yeah, if like the more people would would try this and and realize how much, I mean, that this is all possible. That we can all do it. I mean, you know, I remember you. You remember me? Like we were chubbier. We we remember each other yeah. like that. We are no longer the, these these people. So <laughs> it's great. Chubby Mike. <laughs> Chubby Radek. <laughs> all right. Um, will you indulge a rocket corner for five minutes? Yeah, yeah. Why not? Like you know. Go. <laughs> if you have to. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll send you a link and I'll put it in the show notes. Um, it's in the verge that there are some photos of the recently landed uh, SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket. So I, I briefly mentioned it, I think, last week. 
was it last week? Probably last week. Yeah, last week, yeah. Yeah, so last week, um, SpaceX had a third successful landing, the second successful barge landing, and the first successful landing from a, a, uh, a geostationary transfer orbit mission. Uh, so uh, the photos, they're, they're just amazing. Like, you have this hangar, this big hangar with five huge rockets, and they're all, like, covered in soot and, like, all dirty, but they came back and safely landed propulsively, and that's just amazing. That that never happens. Uh, so so that's very cool. And the 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 newest uh, landed stage. I mean, you can see it really took a beating. Uh, it's still like functionally, it's probably just fine. It it was like complete, right? But it was coming down at a much, much faster speed because of the higher orbit. And if I remember the number correctly, uh, it was experiencing like 16 times the the, the, the heat of re-entry uh, because of the, the higher velocity as it was, um, you know, punching uh, through uh, through the atmosphere. And and you can see like on, on the interstage, it's like, it has these like scorch marks and at the bottom uh when where you have the engines uh like th- there are nine engines and e- each of which has a kind of a an isolated engine bay and there are these uh these access doors that are missing right <laughs> there must have been some kind of overpressure event because the extreme conditions that blew out uh the access door which is the correct behavior, but it really shows that it was a hard, really hard landing, and it had worked. Yeah, it's it's amazing how the rocket how the rocket looks like now. Yeah, and uh, something interesting that um, that Elon Musk now said is that uh, this this new newly landed rocket will be a life leader for ground tests, and what it means is uh, they, they they probably um, won't see much of uh, such hard comebacks. Like the the missions in the future, they uh, they will be less hard, <laughs> and so they're more likely to just land uh, more softly, right? And so this uh, is likely to be the more the the most beat up landed Falcon Nine in quite a while. And so the idea is they will really stress test it, you know, put it on a on a test stand, uh, fire the engines, just try a lot of things, uh, stress the rocket. And the idea is if after all of this and these stress tests, it's still good, then you have like a much higher degree of confidence that if this worked like that, the other landed rockets, which didn't experience such extreme conditions, are pretty likely uh, to be, uh, you know, good and and safe and reliable. Yeah, let's see. Let's see about that because the, the, the rocket really, like, it looks like it's been through things. It's been through the hell and back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's very interesting. And you know, it, it's interesting how SpaceX is all about low cost. The low cost doesn't normally get people excited, but this is low cost through really high tech, right? And through recovery, which is high tech. But, uh, and and SpaceX rockets are pretty much cheaper or already than anything else, 
uh, without the recovery. But the interesting thing now is that uh, because of landing, like even if, if they couldn't recover them, couldn't relaunch them for whatever reason, uh, they wouldn't be just low cost, but they have the opportunity to be the highest reliability launch provider because no one else can see their rockets after they're launched. They're like launch once and they're gone. They send some data over the air that sensor picked up, but you can't test it after it landed. It, you can't fire it again. You can't see into the, the, the structure of the metal to see how much uh, fatigue it, it had to withstand, right? Like no one has the access of intact rockets after they launched. So they don't have this, this amazing you know, treasure trove of, of, of data uh, to use in further development. Yeah, I mean, this is, and, and if you think about it, really, something that, that is right now, as we discussed before, like we take for granted that the planes don't, you know, disassemble themselves when they land, that we can yeah. use them again and again. And like, for example, like the Southwest Airlines or Ryanair here in Europe, they, there are these airlines that, you, that just let the, the plane rest for like, I don't know, half an hour, maybe 40 minutes just to, you know, just, Kick people out and put new people in, and just just go back yeah. to um, go back to, uh, to to flying, and this will be the future of space. I mean, the space will be very similar in the future. Not yet, not in one year or two years, but this is going to be the future that the rocket will come back, and who just they will just need a few a few a few minutes or hours or whatever to you know to put yeah. put more stuff into it, and then we just go back. So yeah, right, right, this yeah. is coming. This is inevitable. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, the the plane uh, comparison is actually really good because, uh, yeah, rockets <laughs> might do more extreme things, but look, rockets are like what a hundred million. A Falcon Nine is sixty million. Um, some rockets are four hundred million. You know, big rockets anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so are planes. Yeah, I I, I think a a seven three seven a new one is again something like a hundred. A million dollars. A, a brand new Airbus A380 is something like four hundred million dollars. So those are similar prices, actually. But because they can reuse it so much again and again and again and again, uh, the the enormous cost of the initial hardware is just amortized so much that it doesn't matter. Uh, so one last uh, thought, if you can indulge me any longer. All right. Uh, they they actually uh, attempted something they didn't talk about, but Elon Musk confirmed it uh, in a tweet. So uh, you know how when you have a rocket, right? You have a rocket, you have your first stage, second stage, and then you have this this fairing, right? So so this 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 nice kind of bullet shaped box in which a satellite sits, right? Yeah. And those are just like two pieces made of. Uh, you know, some composite material or whatever. So uh, those are, you know, uh, at just about the same time, the second stage separates and the first stage now uh, goes to land. Uh, the fairing also separates and the fairing is is lost. It just, you know, um, gets disintegrated in the atmosphere maybe or hits uh, the ocean and then gets destroyed. Uh, but the thing is, uh, even though it it's it looks like a, a dumb uh, piece of equipment, it's it's actually not that cheap because it's it's big. Uh, for a Falcon Nine, the the fairing 
is, is like five meters in diameter, almost 15 meters in length. It could fit an entire like school bus inside. So it's really big. And even though it doesn't have a lot of like smarts in it, uh, because it's so big and it has this uh, carbon fiber composite um, aluminum honeycomb structure, it costs like two million to make. So that's not cheap. And so they've been trying to recover that too. Because the thing is, uh, it's lightweight, right? It has a, it has the shape such that if they could um, orient it the right way towards the atmosphere, it could slow down such that it could uh, deploy uh, a parafoil and then maybe it could land softly enough on the ocean it could be recovered or maybe even caught mid-air with a helicopter. Uh, so they, they've been trying to, to do even that because once first stage recovery is done, then like everything else will start to really matter, right? The, 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 the next um, uh, steps to reusability and lower costs. So that didn't quite work, but Elon Musk said uh, they're progressing and they think a, a solution is possible. So that would be uh, interesting to have the first stage re- um, retrieved, the fairing retrieved, when they launch uh, a, a, a Dragon capsule instead of uh, a satellite and a fairing, they're, they're recovering that. So the only thing not recovered for now would be the second stage, which is just a, a, a small rocket, a really small rocket compared to the first stage. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, it's interesting when, the, when this all starts to make, you know, make sense and, and just work and, and be yeah, almost, you know, totally recovered. This would, this would really, really something. But, you know, we are not far away from that. So, you know, we'll see. But uh, they're making progress on that. <laughs>